0: How are we doing? Okay, I know I speak a lot to youth because every single time I get up, it doesn't matter if it's adults, I'm like, what up? I'm like, no, this is not the place to do that right here. This is not the time. Hey, I am so excited to be here and Emmanuel, we love you guys. We have missed you guys. Maybe if you just recently started going here and you're like, I don't know, you black like, man, how do you miss me? I don't know, I don't know. Well, we used to uh, be, I was one of the youth pastors on staff here and then my wife, come on, and my wife, she also worked here as well. And so we know the people of Emmanuel and you guys are awesome people. I can't say enough about the people that are here at Emmanuel. Matter of fact, what you guys just saw in the video, that was not me. That was us. And it was because of what you guys have given uh, to missions and some of you individually to our ministry, we are able to do that. So Thank you so much for how you guys give. And matter of fact, more than just giving, you guys have some great people here that have affected, or I don't even know if it's affected or infected, I don't know what it is, but that have really helped my family and I help out in many ways. Uh, Matter of fact, uh, Dr. Lori, Dr. Lori changed my wife's life. You guys have no idea. You should ask her the story. But man, Dr. Lori has been amazing uh, in our family. And then plus a lot of the people here on staff have been great. And of course, Pastor Nate has been huge in my life, and there are lots of things I could tell you. Like, a lot of times people get up here and they're like, oh, yeah, Nate Rouge, he's awesome. He's an amazing pastor. No, y'all don't understand. He has changed my life. As a matter of fact, when I wanted to, like, get into speaking and everything, when he was at North Central, I was actually one of his students that he's kind of, like, was the counselor over. And so when I told him, hey, I want to travel around and I want to speak to people, instead of, like, just opening a door for me and be like, all right. you can come speak here. He made me do work. And matter of fact, he made me sit down and call over 300 churches and ask them if I can come in and speak. He didn't say, hey, you should let Terrence come and speak. He made sure that I called these people. And after I got hundreds and hundreds of no's, I finally got one that said yes. And Nate was like, all right, good. Now you got to do it again. So I want to tell you guys right now, a lot of times people may say, hey, you get to do that because you know awesome people, sometimes it's the awesome people that make you do awesome work that get you to do what you do. And so that is your guys' pastor. So thank you for instilling me the work to be able to do what I do. Now, since I, since we have been gone for these last six months, I, I have learned some things about myself and I have learned I am jacked up. I'm jacked up. I've got some problems, y'all, okay? Some of you are like, mm-hmm, I could tell. Like, I have got things going on in my life that I need help with, but the thing about it is, you're jacked up too. That's right, you're jacked up. Matter of fact, turn to the person next to you and let them know, you're jacked up. <laughs> some of you guys are like, I ain't jacked up, he ain't talking to me, all right? that ain't me. I went to go see a counselor. No, you're jacked up. But the thing about it is, if we know that we have got some problems, the awesome thing is that God speaks to this. And one of the things I want to point out today is Jeremiah 1.5. And it says this, I chose you before I gave you life. And before you were born, I selected you to be a prophet to the nations. God chose you you before you were even born. He knew that you are going to have some issues. He knew that you are going to be jacked up and he still chose you and he still called you. He still has a plan for you. He projected that you were going to be a prophet to the nations. Despite all the junk that you have caused in your life, despite the troubles you have gotten to, he still says you're mine. I still have something for you. I chose you even before all that. God chose you now I fortunately know the moment I got jacked up matter of fact I got jacked up by my grandma now let me explain to you guys When I was about two or three years old, uh, my parents, uh, they got a divorce. And so when my father moved out of the house, he, like, took a whole bunch of things out of the house. And so there was nothing in there. So my mom, she was, like, struggling trying to make things work. And I have two older brothers. And so she was trying to just try to figure out something, how to feed us and all that. And then one day, my grandma came to help out. And I'll never forget it. Now, you guys got to understand, my grandma was awesome. Because first of all, my grandma, she smelled like chicken and oatmeal. I don't know how those things go together, but they're delicious. And that's what she smelled like. And every single time she would come in and she'd be like, baby, what do you want to eat? And my grandma, she used to cook all these awesome foods. And so she would just ask me all the time, hey, what do you want to eat, baby? I'm like, oh, grandma, I want some oatmeal. And not just the old oatmeal. I'm talking like oatmeal with strawberries in it. Mm, Delicious. And she would make that for me all the time. And so when my mom, my grandma came, she was like, start cleaning up the whole house. She's taking care of all these things. When my mom went off to work, she's taking care of me and my older brothers. It was amazing. Now, end of the week came and my grandma She had to go back to Detroit because that's where my grandma was from. She was from Detroit and she had to go home. So, of course, my brothers and I were like, oh, grandma, oh, we're going to miss you. Oh, but my grandma turns to me and she goes, baby you're coming with me. And I'm like, I'm going to grandma's house. And she goes, yes. So I'm like running to my room. I'm like taking all my Legos and all my Twinkies and I'll put them in my bag. Because when you're a kid, you got to have Twinkies and Legos. And so I got that and I went into my brother's room and I was just like, I'm going to grandma's house. I'm going to grandma's house. I was so excited. And so the day that we're going to leave, I remember my mom, she dropped us off at the Greyhound station because remember back in the day, we were broke. We couldn't afford no plane ride. We had to take the Greyhound. So we were getting on the Greyhound. I remember my mom, she's like waving and she's crying. And My mom's a little emotional, but I'm like, mom, don't worry. I'm going to Grandma's house. Bye. And so when we finally got to Detroit, I remember we walked into my Grandma's home and she turned to me and she goes, baby, what do you want to eat? I'm like, this is going to be amazing. I'm going to gain like 3,000 pounds. This is awesome being at Grandma's house. But the thing about Grandma's house is this. My grandma went to church every single day. Now, some of you are sitting there and you're like, oh, she went to church Sunday, Wednesday, and Sunday. I'm like, no, you don't understand. She went to church every single day. Monday was church-wide prayer. Tuesday night was women's devotional night. Wednesday night was Wednesday services. Thursday night was uh, church devotional. Friday night was evangelism night. Saturday night was praying for the whole church service on Sunday. And Sunday night was for the missionary slash special guest speaker. She went to church every single day. And every single day, we would have these long prayers. And I'm like, shoot, Lord, you need to get an iPad or something. Write this stuff down. Why we always got to pray for you every day? And so after going to church every single day at three, four years old, I am getting upset. I'm like, I don't want to do this no more. I don't want to go to church anymore. And my grandma, when she went to church, she was the lady that got like all dressed up and had the hat to match and everything to go with it. And matter of fact, one time my grandma, she was just like, Terrence, I even let the Holy Spirit pick out my clothes. I was like, wow, I didn't know the Holy Spirit like leopard print. That's cool. That's cool. Oh, <laughs> So, we would go to church, and my grandma, she would have her tambourine in hand, and she'd be like, thank you, Jesus, hallelujah. And matter of fact, she probably had like her name engraved in her tambourine. That's probably not true, but I'm assuming it is. And so, she would be praying and praising this whole time, and I am sitting in church, and one day, it just got to me. One day, I was like, I am so sick of this. I am done. And so, in my rebellion phase at four years old, I started to take off my clothes in church, <laughs> this is a true story I don't know why rebelling to me means get naked but it just does and so I start taking off my clothes and my grandma she stops praising and she looks at me and she goes baby you need to put your clothes back on things that you never thought you hear in church and I'm like no grandma I'm done with this I'm sick of this and so I'm starting to take off my clothes and my grandma's like Baby? I'm like, no, grandma, I don't want to do this. And so my grandma, she goes back to praising. Next thing you know, this big black dude comes over to my grandma and he goes, you want me to handle this? And she goes, you do what you got to do. I'm like, grandma, hold on. <laughs> you just sold me out to somebody. I don't even know. Dude, he took me by shoulder, pulled me to the side. He's like, all right, we're going to go outside. And when we go outside, I want you to go and get a switch. I'm like, okay, first of all, I am from the suburbs. What do you mean a switch? What What is this switch thing? I don't know. Are we plugging something in? I don't know. And so we went outside and he goes, you see that tree over there? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, I want you to break a branch off of that tree and bring it back to me. And I'm like, uh, this does not sound like any discipline I have ever seen in my life and so as I'm going over towards this tree I start to think to myself you know what this dude is old. He can't outrun me. And next thing I knew, I started taking off. I'm like, I'm done with this. And this dude must have been superhuman, because all of a sudden he was just like, come back here. And he pulled me up. He took the branch off the tree, and he started spanking me with this thing. I am like forever scarred, because I'll never forget after we got done, I'm like sobbing. We go back into the church. He sits me down into the pew. And then, of course, my grandma's still in there. hallelujah thank you jesus i am upset i am mad and so as we're leaving the church uh, i'm just i just put my feet into the ground cross my arms my grandma's starting to go a little bit she turns around and she goes baby come on i'm like no grandma i'm done i want to go home i don't want to do this no more and then that's when my grandma turned towards me and she goes baby you can't go home your mom gave me to you you can't go home. See, when my parents split up, my mom was having a hard time trying to make ends meet. And so she had to send one of her children off in order to gain some ground financially. And I was that kid. Now don't get me wrong. My my mom, she came back and she got me and she, Married an awesome man that took me in as his own son. But that moment, it stuck with me forever. And I didn't realize how big of a moment that was in my life until just about a year ago. See. My wife, she is way smarter than I will ever be, and she is going to school to become, uh, get her master's in counseling, and so my wife, she's reading all these books, even before she started school. She's reading all these books about counseling, and then when she goes to sit in with her guidance counselor, they're just like, okay, you need to have these books. When we start going to classes, you're gonna read these books. My wife is so smart, she's like, I already read them, they're done, what else can I read? And so there's this one book that my wife got, and the book is called Lovable. And in this book, there's like, this guy's talking about how, we, how you figure out how you have some issues in your life. And he does this thing. And so my wife, she comes over to me. She goes, Terrence, you need to read this book. This book is about you. You're going to learn so much about yourself. I'm like, shoot, I don't need to read a book to learn about this. I know. But I sat down, started reading the book. And there's this moment in the book where the guy talks about where you're supposed to close your eyes and imagine... You're standing in front of your childhood home. doesn't matter what, how old you are, but whatever it is, when you think of your childhood home, imagine you're standing in front of it. So I imagine this, and I imagine myself at a certain age, and he goes, Now, I want you to go through the front doors of that house and go to the kitchen, and you see your mom there. And I imagine myself seeing my mom in the kitchen, and he goes, Now what? do you want to say to your mom? What do you want to ask her, but you don't? So I think of what I I would want to ask my mom, but instead I ask her to make me something to eat, because it's easy to just make something real quick. Then he goes, now go to a room where you would see your father. What does he say to you? And for me, it was this blank room, because my father had left, Now it says, go back outside and stand on the sidewalk. And you look down the sidewalk and you see this figure coming towards you. And you can't quite make it out at first, but as it starts to get closer and closer, you figure out that it's you. It's your older self. And you come up to your younger self. And you bend down. And what do you tell your younger self? And I remember I'm sitting there I can see my younger self and I bend down and I say, it's okay to ask for help. You can ask for help because for me, I never realized I don't like asking for help because I always in my mind, I think that if I ask for help, I'm going to become a bother to somebody. And if I'm a bother to somebody, that means they can get rid of me that was always attached to me. I didn't realize that that moment in life, it placed that shame on me. So I'd, you can even ask my wife today, I have a hard time asking for help because I don't want to bother anybody. I don't want to be getting, gotten rid of. This is what shame is. Shame says you are not good enough for dot, dot, dot. Everybody in here has shame. Everybody in here has that thing that says, yeah, I'm not good enough to do that. I'm not good enough to be there. I'm not good enough to be with that person. You have to remember, shame, it thrives in secrecy and demands loyalty. Nobody likes to talk about your shame, but yet you're so loyal to it. Yet in the back of your mind, you know, I'm not good enough for that. See, when we deal with the worth in our life, when we start to feel unworthy and we wanna have value, we naturally go to two things in our life. We naturally will go to the people in our lives and our purpose in our lives. See, we'll go to people. When you're trying to find your worth and your value in people, Naturally, you're trying to find and since you've been hurt by people, you try to be healed by people, but it will never work. And so every single time that you start relationships with people, it's no wonder that a lot of us, we want to come off as perfect because we only want them to see the good parts because if they see the bad parts, then they're not going to want to be friends with us or maybe they're not going to want to fall in love with us. And so we got to hide all this stuff and we got to make sure that we look good all the time. And we say the most perfect things all the time because if they see that something is wrong, then they're gonna know me and I know I'm not good enough. So we try to act the part, but then you start to realize you're always coming up short. And when you feel like you're coming up short, you get tired. And this is when you start to get angry at people because you're like, I'm not gonna please you anyway. When we go towards the purpose in our life, where we look for value in that, it's always like that next level. Maybe for you it's a job. Maybe it's like, okay, if I get that promotion or if I get that title, then I'm going to be good enough. Maybe for you it's your grades in school. Hey, the minute that people see me on the honor roll, the minute that I get the starting position on that team, I am gonna be good enough. But the thing about it is, there's always gonna be that next level. There's always gonna be that next promotion that you're gonna need to get in order to validate yourself, in order to validate your worth. And so you're constantly trying to push for that next thing. And that will make you tired as well. And then that's when you get to the point where you're like, I can't do this no more. I give up. It's too much. And Jesus says, you're working too hard. You don't need to do that. You don't need to find your value and all these other things because I've already placed it inside of you. remember, He chose you before you were even born. He made you to be a prophet to the nations. See, a couple years ago, there was this uh, tour bus driver in Iceland, and he would tour around Iceland and give, like, an Icelandic tour. And so all the people would pack in on the bus, and they would stop at certain points for people to get out, take pictures. Now, this tour guy, he was really, really good at his job, and he didn't need a sheet of paper, and he just knew off of people's faces that who was on his bus, and a lot of times, when it was time to get everybody in, he would just look at the faces going in, he'd be like, all right, it's time to go. But they stopped at this one stop one time. And when he called everybody back in, he started to notice we're missing somebody. So he got on the bus. He started to count the people on the bus. And he's like, no, something's not right. We are missing someone. So he talked to everybody on the bus. He's like, okay. Okay. We're missing somebody. I need your guys' help trying to find her. She is about 5'4". She's an Asian lady. No relation. And she is wearing a red sweater, and I need your help in looking for her. So all the people got off the bus, and they began to try to look for this lady who had on a red sweater that was about 5'4", and after two hours, they couldn't find her. And so they're like, we, we need to get the police involved. We don't know where she's at. So they called the police. The police came, and they began to do this search. They ended up searching for over five hours. And when it became night, they're like, hey, we're going to have to call off the search and restart it in the morning. And as everybody was starting to get back on the bus, one guy turns towards this lady, and he goes, hey, you kind of look like the lady we are looking for. Lady stops, she goes, oh yeah, that was me. She's like, I went and we stopped. I just took off my sweater and redid my hair. That's me. She was looking for herself the whole time. (laughs) And this is what we do with our worth. You are steadily going to other people and other places and other jobs trying to find something that is already there. God did not call you to go on some deep search for yourself, for your value. He says, I am giving it to you. You, have already, you were born with it. I chose you. See, one of the stories that I think really captures this well is the story of the woman by the well. And... If you guys want to look at this story, it takes place in John 4, 4 through uh, 18. Now, before we get into this story, uh, if you've ever read the story, maybe you don't know the story of the woman at the well, uh, basically what happens is Jesus and his disciples, they're going along one day, and then Jesus, you know, he's been healing people and doing awesome things, and he's just like, y'all, I am tired, okay? I need a drink of water. This is the ghetto version of the Bible. I need a drink of water. And so he's like, Y'all go on ahead and I'm gonna get something to drink. And they're like, all right, Jesus, peace. And so Jesus sits by this well, and then all of a sudden, this Samaritan woman comes over. And Jesus asks her, Hey, can you get me some water? Woman's leg. Say, What? You're talking to me? And Jesus' is like, Yes, I'm talking to you. And she's like, no, no, no. And then this is where we pick up the story. It is in verse, uh, John 4, and we'll start it off in verse 13. And it says this, when Jesus, he answered her and he goes, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she said. Jesus goes, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man now you have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Okay, I believe that we can relate to this woman and this story. See, one of the ways that I believe that we can relate to her is first, she was tired of being who she was. She didn't want to be her no more. She didn't want to be the woman at the well anymore. And verse 15, it says this. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Now, a lot of times when we read the Bible, some of us, or at least maybe I'm just speaking for myself, there are times where I'm like, "Ah, I'm not spiritual enough to really understand the deep meanings behind this. Maybe I need to go to school a little bit more. Maybe I need to pray a little bit more to understand this. No. I believe that it doesn't matter where you are at in your faith. God created the Bible for you, for where you are at right now. And when we read this verse, there's nothing spiritual about it at all. She is saying, I don't want to come back to the well. Not for some spiritual reason but for a reason the way that people looked at her so you have to know that back in the day there was a certain time of the day that the women of the town would come to the well to draw water together and this would be like a community time where the women of the town they can get together and talk because they couldn't do that around all the other men so they designated this time during the day for all the women to come to get water talk to each other and then go back to their homes But this woman, she came by herself, and it probably wasn't by choice. The women of the town probably didn't want to talk to her because they probably knew her business. They probably spoke behind her back. Nobody wanted to be associated with that kind of woman. So when she came to the well, she was coming alone. And so when she's talking to Jesus, she's saying, I don't want to do this no more. I hate the way people look at me. Make it so that I don't have to come back here anymore. Make it so I don't have to feel this way anymore. Jesus, he knew what he was offering her. He wasn't just merely offering her spiritual water but he was offering her true, living water. You live with your head held high. Don't worry about them, I've got something better for you. The second way that I think we can relate to this woman is that she was a woman. Now, we can't all relate to being a woman, but back then, uh, women they were thought of as not as good as men. They were thought of as, hey, you know what, you're over there and maybe when you get back to your home you can talk to your man about those different things. But out here where the men reside, you have to keep quiet because they're smart people and men were just awesome. Okay, I don't really believe that. If I believe that, my wife would cut me. But that's how they thought back in the day. And so for this woman, she's not only a Samaritan woman, but she's, she's a woman. She's not good enough to be around. She's not good enough to talk to this, this awesome teacher of what they believe. So when Jesus starts talking to her, she's like, wait a minute, you're a teacher? Why are you talking to me? Why would you want to talk to me? And I know there are some of you that can relate to just not being good enough, not being good enough to make that team, not being good enough to sit with other people, not being good enough to be in that job, Everyone knows what it feels like to be alone, to look at everybody else and say, yeah, they're way better than me. This woman knew that feeling. And last but not least, this woman had some deep hurts and deep sin in her life. See, when Jesus calls her out and he goes, yeah, fact of the matter is, the man that you're living with now, you've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. See, a lot of times we assume, like, okay, she's had five husbands because she's gotten divorced five different times. We really don't know that. It could have been maybe she was one day she woke up and her man just left. Maybe another day her man went off and he just just died all of a sudden. You know, men, we do that sometimes. We just die. We don't know why she's had five different husbands, but what we do know is the man that she is now with is not her husband. Or if we're being honest, the man that she is sleeping with right now is not her husband. Why? Because it's simple. When you're trying to find your worth and your value, you'll go towards anything and anybody that'll give you just an inch of it because it's better than having none. She's willing to sacrifice what people think about her just to feel a little good enough. And the awesome thing is Jesus still appears to her and he still says, I wanna offer you. I've got something good for you. I chose you before you were even born and I've called you to be a prophet to the nations. You know how awesome that is? Like literally when we read the rest of the story, that lady leaves Jesus, she goes back to her town. She goes, hey, I think I found the Messiah. Y'all gotta come and take a look. Everybody from the town comes to meet Jesus. She literally becomes a prophet to her town. That's crazy. This lady that had no name, nobody liked, nobody had value in, Jesus says, I have value in you and you're gonna make the way for others to come find me. That's awesome because what that says about you, that that, that says no matter where you are at in life, no matter what kind of shame you have, Jesus says, I'm still doing something. I'm still going to do something amazing in you and all you have to do is receive what I got for you. All you have to do is receive the grace that I want to give you. Just come to me and I will send you on your way. That's why we need grace. That's the only way we beat shame in our lives. Cause let's be honest, shame, shame hurts not because it says lies, no. Shame hurts because it says things that are half true. Yeah, you do smoke. Yeah, you do struggle with pornography. But the awesome thing about grace, grace says, yeah, that's true, but I've still called you. Yeah, you may struggle, but I still got something for you. This is why we need grace in our lives. To take away all those things that are half-truths and to bring you the full truth of what Jesus does. Because Jesus does not come to save the pretty. He does not come to save the perfect. He does not come to save the people that only sin once a year. He comes to save everybody. Big and small sins, he gives grace all alike too. This is why we need Jesus. Jesus. See, uh, traveling to different schools, and if you guys don't know, I, I go and I do school assemblies across the country. And matter of fact, one of the main things I talk about is the importance of a dad hug. And if you don't know what a dad hug is, a dad hug says, I love you, and you don't have to do anything for me. A dad hug says, I think you're great, and you don't have to be the superstar athlete. You don't have to get straight A's. I just think you're great because you're you. And there's this one school we went to I'll never forget it. It's filled, and I'm talking, and I start talking about the importance of a dad hug. And after everything was said and done near the end of the assembly, I go, hey, if you've never had that dad hug, that mom hug, that friend hug, I want you to come on down, and I want you to get a hug from me, because I give the best dad hugs ever. So of course, all these students start coming down, and I'm giving each and every one of them a hug. But out of the corner of my eye, I see this one dude, and he is pacing back and forth, back and forth. And I'll never forget it. This dude, he was dressed in all black and he had his hood up so I couldn't see his face. And so as I am sitting there and I am hugging every single student, I've got like one eye on this dude because I'm like, shoot, if he comes over to me, I'm gonna cut him. And so, I'm kidding, i would to go to jail. And so the last person in line, I give them a hug. And as soon as I let go of him, this dude beelines it straight towards me. And as he's running up to me, I start to puff myself up because I'm like, I'm, shoot, I'm big for my age. Let's do this. And next thing I know, he stops right in front of my face and he goes, you, you made me feel feelings today. And at first I wanted to laugh because I was like, that's a weird thing to say to a brother. Why would you say that to me? But in that moment, I did not say that. In that moment, all I said was, okay. And next thing I know, he throws his arms up in the air and he gives me one of the biggest hugs I've ever received in my life. And as he is sitting there and squeezing me, I just whisper to him, hey man, if there's any reason why we came to your school today, it was for you. Next thing I know, he throws his arms up in the air and he runs out the gym. And as soon as he ran out the gym, I was just like, uh, okay, we got to wrap this up. I don't know if this guy's coming back. So we go to lunch And all of a sudden we get a call from the principal. Principal goes, before you go to your next school, you have to know what just happened. He goes, see, after you gave all the students a dad hug, they all went back to their classroom. But there's one student in particular where nobody talks to him and he doesn't talk to anybody. He went back to his classroom, but he sat in the back so nobody would talk to him. But then all the other students in the class began to talk about how cool it was you gave them all dad hugs. And then one girl in the class turned towards this kid and she goes, hey, did you get a dad hug from Terrence? Terrence. And that's when this kid stood up in the back of his classroom and goes, I've never received a dad hug in my life. That was the first time. Then all of a sudden, all the other students in the class proceeded to give this guy a hug, to let him know that he had value and he had worth. And today was a different day. And as soon as the last person in the class gave him a hug, he ran out of the classroom and the principal goes, he ran to my office, walked up to my desk and put a gun down on the table and said, today was the day I was gonna take my own life until I knew somebody cared about me. Don't let your shame kill you in secret. Nobody in here deserves to live in that shame. Your God has made you good enough. You are worthy. Don't let the rest of 2017 tell you any different. Don't let the future of 2018 put that back on you. Today, we are taking care of the shame. There is no more shame in this place.